Episode 11, web marketing strategy that works in 2017. If you fail the plan, you are planning to fail. That's what this episode's all about. We talk about how to create a simplified online marketing strategy at a high level, why it's so important to have a clear plan laid out before we even look at hooking into the tactical nitty gritty stuff. We look at whether the fundamentals of effective web marketing differ depending on who your customers are, what locations you service, and the length of your customer's typical buying cycle. Plus, we cover much, much more. This is a really interesting episode and a very important one, I think, for any business owner or marketer to be across. And so if you do enjoy the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever. And don't forget to go and subscribe for free updates, regular giveaways, and a whole heap of other fun stuff at thelocationstation.com. So web marketing strategy that works in 2017. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. Enjoy. Welcome to The Location Station, where we learn from extraordinary marketers and business owners about all the latest location-based marketing tactics and technologies so you can attract and retain more customers near your business or brand. I'm your host, Dave Eddy. I'm extremely grateful for your time and attention today, so let's get cracking. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Mr. Adam Franklin. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine, believe me. Now, uh, now, Adam, who is Adam Franklin? Right, so this is going to be a bit of a an elongated long intro because he's done a ton of cool stuff and he's still a relatively young man. Um, but that stuff includes, he's the co-founder and marketing manager at a web marketing firm called Blue Wire Media. He's an international social media speaker, a prolific blogger, host of the Web Marketing That Works podcast, and also the co-author of the book of the same name, which is an Amazon bestseller, I believe. He's uh, been featured in numerous business publications, top-ranked blogs, has an email audience of, I think, over 20,000 uh, business marketers and digital marketing consultants. He's a traveler. He's a surfer. He's a pretty good bloke. Uh, and I'm excited to have Adam on the show today to talk to us about web marketing strategy. What does that mean and how does it work in 2017? So Adam, mate, I've given the audience a little bit of insight into who you are. Would you mind elaborating and, and telling us a bit about your story? Sure can, Dave. So, yes, reasonably young, although mid-30s, I don't know if that's young or old these days, but um, I've been doing this now for 12 years or just just about 12 years. By the time this goes live, it'll be 12 years. So, basically, like we started in 2005, me and one of my good mates from, from primary school, Toby Jenkins, and we started selling websites. And now, one thing to keep in mind is that we were non-techies, like we didn't know how to write a line of code, we didn't know how to build a website. That stuff didn't interest us, but what did interest interest us was starting a business and learning about marketing. And so we took the advice of people like Mike O'Hagan, who started Mini Movers, who uh, was a mentor of, or has been a mentor of ours since the early days, and taking on the advice of people like Michael Gerber, who's the author of the E Myth, who sort of advocate not being a technician in the business, but rather learn the skills of being a business owner. Mm-hmm. Now, that's how we, we started off and we started selling websites. It gradually has evolved quite a bit over the last decade. And the short version is that we evolved into not only building websites, but doing email marketing. And then when social media sort of came on the scene in 2007, 2008, that was another logical addition to our service offering. And we basically managed clients' website projects and social media and uh, ongoing content for a number of years as an agency based out of Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And after about eight years, we kind of evolved out of that and more into education and teaching people, particularly business owners and marketing consultants, what we'd learned over those years and and gave them the tools and the templates and the framework uh, to do it themselves. Got it. Cool. Awesome. So, And these days, you're focusing on the speaking and, and the training side of it rather than actually doing the the services and the consulting um, side of things. Yeah, that's right. So we stopped being an agency in 2012 or 13. Mm -hmm. And these days we basically, we do get quite a few leads for the 
implementation type of thing, and then we just refer them out to to partners uh, like yourself who have you know special abilities in in certain areas. So we love the education, the training, and the speaking. Yep. Got it. Cool. Now, uh, your your book, Web Marketing That Works, uh, which was launched in 2014, I believe it was January. So, obviously, a very successful book with um, uh, lots of lots of readers, and it's got you a lot of traction. And um, I'm really interested to to hear from you today about you know what about web marketing that works and the web strategy piece um, from three years ago is still relevant today, and which parts have have changed. So I'd like to get that out of your head in this call. First of all, would you mind giving us a bit of uh, a bit of an explanation when we talk about web marketing strategy? What do we actually mean by that, and where can businesses start? Okay, so what I mean by a web strategy is basically just getting everybody on the same page and knowing which direction you're going to go. Like people can really overcomplicate a web strategy. I like to keep it to a one-page document that's really simple, but basically what you do is you pick the direction you want to go, you understand who your buyers are, how you can help them, and what you're going to publish online and sort of map out that journey you want to take them on so that they can become a customer of yours. Now, that's just, that's I like to keep it nice and simple like that because really the strategy is the easy part. The hard part is actually doing the work and doing it consistently over time. So that's why I don't like to get overly detailed on the strategy side of things. Got it. And so uh, so I was one of my questions was, you know, why are you so passionate and, you know, uh, why do you place such a big importance on the strategy part rather than, you know, advising, say, a business owner to just jump in and do all the tactical stuff and, and bounce from um, pillar to post doing, you know, whatever Facebook's doing now or uh, – you know, hooking into Facebook Live, for example, or blogging, or uh, you know, wh- wh- why why is a strategy important or a plan important to map out before you start digging in and, and doing stuff online for your business? Yeah, it's certainly worth doing first, and the main reason is just so that you don't get distracted by all the shiny new toys or the shiny new objects. Because as you know, as you've mentioned, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that's always coming and going, and it's easy to. I mean, it's good to experiment with some of those, and that's what I like to do to see what works so I can then teach clients and readers and subscribers what's worked and what works for us. But if, if, if you just bounce from one thing to another, then you're not going to get any traction with any of it, and you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels. But if you actually have a plan and document it, and you can sort of say, well, you know, I'm going to focus on my email list and my lead magnet and my website, you know, the, the fundamental foundational things – then it's easier to say no to other stuff and say, look, Facebook Live or Facebook Ads, that sounds great. I know there's a time and a place for that, but let me just focus on the basics. So that's that's the reason why it's so important. Yeah. Got it, cool. And and you mentioned you don't like to get into the detail much, but something that I've noticed you do get into the detail with um, from being to your workshops and just chatting to you is uh, something called the buyer persona. So getting really specific about who is our target audience uh, and exactly what what are they you know where are they online what are they doing what do they want what what can we do to give them value for them to in turn hire us or or, or buy from us so can you just start um, I thought it might be fun maybe if we can um, talk through that buy persona journey and perhaps use some sort of case study um, to uh, I just I guess just let our, re- our listeners hear how you would approach, you know, creating a buyer persona and then walking through those next steps of the strategy. Does that sound like fun? Yeah, sure, that's right. <laughs> All right, well, have, uh, I can't think of an example, so that I'm going to throw that straight back to you, mate. <laughs> do, you yeah. have, do you have one you can think of? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So, look, I mean, yeah, the, the purpose of a strategy basically involves understanding your ideal buyer or a buyer persona, as I choose to reference it in my book, other people call it a customer avatar. Now, it all means the same thing. It's picturing your ideal client and really understanding them, understanding their challenges and aspirations and problems and basically getting to the point where you can clearly describe and identify this person. And it's really important that it's just a single person that you're picturing. And so it's 
an, an example, I'll, I'll talk you through one of the buyer personas that we had at Blue Wire Media, mm-hmm. which you mentioned is my company. Mm-hmm. So we were going through this activity ourselves, and the reason we were doing it is because we'd read the new rules of marketing and PR by David Miam and Scott, and it was a really neat exercise to actually uncover who we would really like to be working with. Mm-hmm. And so we'd been in business a little while. We knew that some clients were a pain in the neck. We knew some clients didn't pay on time and were really draining to work with. Yet there were others who were particularly enjoyable to work with. They We looked forward to it. They paid on time. They valued what we did. And so we worked out, Let's. we sat down and thought, well, what are the characteristics of these people? And we worked out for when we were an agency selling our client services that the people that we loved working with were typically marketing managers mm-hmm. at a corporation mm-hmm. and they had an interested CEO, a supportive IT team and they, the marketing managers, they really were committed to being the number one in their market niche. So that's a super specific set of, you know, check boxes that they have to tick to, to earn the right to do work with you, right? <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's, well, that, that's well. They're the people that we're looking out for. Yeah, yeah. And if we know what our good clients look like yeah. when they apply or when they inquire or when we meet them like an event, mm-hmm. we can sort of say, okay, you're the type of person that we do our best work for yeah. that get the best results, blah, blah. So us, Toby and me as business owners and our team were then very aware of the types of people that we worked best with. Um, yeah, and so you know, to, to flesh out that description of, of the buyer persona, she was typically had uh, she worked four days a week and had one weekday off to hang out with her two kids, and she really trusted her friends who also worked in marketing and also trusted um, the bloggers that she that she read on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and so we kind of knew that she would, or we did know that she would turn to Google, she would turn to social networks to try and find information. But typically these corporate marketing managers were trained in traditional marketing, which they knew the world was changing. They knew they needed to embrace digital marketing and were looking for people to trust, um, to take sort of guide them on that journey and hold their hand. So that's an example. Yeah, when we call, it's always important to have a name for this buyer persona and we called her Nicola because <laughs> at the time – when we were thinking about who were all of our best clients, who our best clients were, two or three of them, I think three of them at the time actually were called Nicola. <laughs> so it's very easy for us to like give her a give her a name and, and actually <laughs> think about her when we're creating content, when we're you know thinking videos to create and, and all of those sorts of things. So you could have just searched LinkedIn for people named Nicola in marketing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Nicola Marketing Brisbane or Sydney probably give us a few good clients. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Okay, so once we've got our specific buyer persona set, we know who who this person is, where they're hanging out, uh, what what they are looking for. Um, what what's next in that strategy piece? Well, then you've got to work out how you can actually deliver value to these people. So if you know where their um, challenges are and you know what their aspirations are, then our job as content marketers or digital marketers is to publish and release content that's useful to them and okay. useful in a way that helps them solve their problem or useful in a way that helps them achieve their goals. Right. And so really the next step is just to think about what content's useful and then publish it in places that they're going to find it and that they're going to be able to access it. Got it. Cool. And then what? Well, then the name of the game is to actually – create a pathway for them to do business with you. So typically you'd want to give something that we would refer to as a lead magnet Mm -hmm. or a piece of flagship content, something they can actually access and download and they can make a first step, like a tiny bit of progress towards one of their goals or towards solving their problem. Got it. And so for you guys at at Blue Wire Media, that was obviously your uh, 33 marketing templates that you put Put together. So you've just to give the audience background. Uh, if you haven't checked out that piece of flagship content, it's like a huge, huge file of very useful templates and checklists and strategy planning, you know, documents 
uh, that would only be useful for a digital marketer or a business owner who's looking to get their head around the web strategy piece. So you guys have obviously designed that to only be useful for that person that you you originally wanted to target rather than going, we're going to give away an iPad for everyone that gives us their email address and, and yeah. ending, up, ending up with a big, big email list of, you know, useless, useless prospects. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it started, it started just with one template. Back in the day, it was the, all we had was the web strategy planning template, which was the one that we uh, released in 2010 that we co-created with David, Mim and Scott. That was the first one. And because that got lots of traction and because it got us lots of leads and won us lots of business, that's when we started to roll out lots more templates that were appropriate for Nicola, our buyer persona. And it we ended up with 33 marketing templates when the book came out. And so we, we kind of tested which offer worked best because mm-hmm. part of my logical thinking thought that just a single template that was much more concise and approachable would outperform a bundle of 33 mm-hmm. because 33 might seem a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But in all of our testing, the, 30, the bundle of 33 outperformed the others. So we used that as our main offer and then, then we sort of drip feed information and training to people who who join our mailing list so they can make sense of it all. Right. And so in terms of lead magnets and flagship pieces of content, obviously for your your buyer persona and your buyer journey, it's probably more of a uh, an educational long long term sort of buying cycle where someone wouldn't just suddenly figure, oh, I need a a new website or a a new digital marketing consultant, for example, uh, and just make a decision there and then. It's more you need to build that trust and especially for the good the clients that you're after, you need to build that trust and give that continual value, um, valuable content before they'll make the decision to go with you. So what about what about a business that has maybe a shorter buying cycle? Like for example, uh, let's say let's say a locksmith, like a local business locksmith that uh, their customers only need them right there and then when they need them and they're probably just jumping on Google and going, where's the nearest locksmith to me because I'm locked out of my house naked at three in the morning. <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is the lead magnet thing as important for a business like that or is, or is there a completely different approach that you'd take to the strategy um, piece? Well, in that situation, it's a, it's a much shorter yeah, sales cycle and a, a much more um, speed needed in terms of reaching that, that buying decision. Yeah. So I think in those sort of situations, it's really important that the person can actually find you through a Google search mm-hmm. or find you through, you know, if, if they do a shout out to their Facebook friend saying who's a locksmith in uh, Newcastle because Dave's sort of out the front of my place or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to lock, lock him out. <laughs> to actually uh, make this, resolve this problem quickly. <laughs> so in those situations, I think it's, um, it's really important to be able to skip that whole know, like, and trust and just get straight to the purchase Got because – you don't you don't want to drag it out you just want you just want to you want to allow the buyer to go on the journey as quickly or as slowly as they want yeah. and so in this in this situation that you've described you want that to be reached as quickly as possible if it's a longer buying cycle then you need to have all these different steps to, to take people on the journey yeah so just for the locks it's like yes that you want that particular um, situation to go quickly but if then that's an opportunity then to actually get swap details and to have a longer education process for when there's a non sort of urgent situation, like maybe you're redoing all the locks in the house or. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point to make because uh, I, uh, I'll give an example of an air conditioning business that we work with and, and the majority of their business is Google searches. People, you know, want to see the, the quote form and the types of air conditioners that they sell and, um, they and you know where they service and they just want to get get a quote pretty quickly. So it doesn't make as much sense to make you know seven steps to making sure your air conditioner runs great um, e guide as the main point of contact. However, uh, it's the kind of business where and similar to the locksmith where it is worth maybe having that lead magnet or that uh, that flagship piece of content to capture the email address. Um, still fairly prominent, um, if not the first you know, point of call, but fairly prominent so that you can then build that list and maybe book them in for a service every year or um, promote other specials to, uh, to 
cross-sell and stuff like that down the track. So I think it's important to, obviously from what you said, it's important to look at what kind of business am I, what's my, uh, what's my buyer's journey, how quickly do they need to, uh, <laughs> to convert for me and, and what is the priority on my website or my Facebook page um, that I should be promoting first. Now, yeah. in terms of in terms of like, you know, we talked about we're talking about strategy and and pushing out the content and providing value. So, um, what part does the publishing and scheduling, like the tactical doing bit, like, what, do you address that much in in the initial strategy phase, or do you save that for later? Oh, look, yes, there is there is an, an element of that. There's there's this high level strategy mm-hmm. uh, which we address. predominantly in the web strategy planning template but then at the end it's kind of like taking that strategy focused on your buyer persona and then thinking about what you can realistically commit to implementing on a regular basis because it sounds all well and good it would be great to be running facebook ads and doing facebook lives and daily podcasts and you know, guest blogging all across the web uh, every week but of course at the end of the day most people are business owners and marketers and they've got so many other things on their plate that you know you can't do everything and you certainly can't do it all at once so you've got to prioritize what you think is going to move the needle the most and then work out okay well can i commit to doing a weekly newsletter or is that is that the best use of my time you know if you've got like an email list of maybe 500 customers a weekly newsletter might be pretty good or do you start with some facebook ads to to grow a list do you just run google um, paid ads to then show up when people are doing a search for an air conditioning unit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it, mapping out the execution part is is really where the rubber meets the road. That's that's the hard part. Well, mapping it out isn't that hard, but actually executing on that plan is is the harder part. Um, but that's super important because to go from strategy to execution is um, is where the actual work kicks in, and that's where it gets difficult, and that's where people get disheartened and everything else so um it is important to map out but it's also important to revisit and not to beat yourself up if you can't right you know necessarily stick to the schedule you might have been a bit ambitious and when you're all excited <laughs> mapping out what you could do and then realize jesus actually a fair bit more hard work <laughs> we, we recently had an episode with david jennings about his authority content process which i know that you're a um you're a strong um Word fan of, um, and and he talks about, you know, <laughs> us as business owners, we do not have an hour or two hours a day to sit down and blog. We've got accounts and staff and uh, and, and customers to look after. So he talks about, you know, chunking in all all of the content production in the form of a workshop or an interview or whatever in a half day or a day, and then repurposing that into into bite sized pieces of content, which I see a lot of sense in. Um, in terms of in terms of like uh, how things have changed since you released your book, I'm interested to know. Like you mentioned Facebook Live just before, which is a, I guess a new a new way to get content out, potentially an easier way for businesses to publish regularly, but maybe a scarier one as well. Um, apart from like those sort of technologies, what else has changed in terms of web strategy from like 2014 to to today is it still the same fundamentals or or does the technology kind of change the whole way that you look at at strategy look since 2014 when it came out so nearly three years uh yes the 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 fundamental stuff is still pretty much the same yes some technologies have sort of fallen off a bit like twitter's sort of declining in my opinion and google plus is kind of not really around that prominently anymore and they're two technologies that i talked about in the book and the ones you've mentioned facebook live which is the ability to live broadcast through your facebook profile or your facebook page and also the facebook remarketing and retargeting which i know you've talked about um with other guests they're they're probably the two game changers since the book came out like i was pretty off paid advertising in those early days Mm -hmm. the main reason being that you know, if you pay for a click, sorry, if you pay for an ad on um, Google AdWords, like once that ad shows and someone clicks on it, you know, that, that ad then disappears and you've got to keep reaching into your pocket and, and paying for more and more ads, which when we spoke to our clients, that was often the struggle that they had. They felt like they were just 
spending money and they weren't really building any sort of asset. Mm. If they wanted more traffic or more clicks or more eyeballs, they had to keep spending more money. And often they'd come to us and say, is there a better way? And we would say, well, look, content marketing does provide an alternative because everything you publish on your blog or your website or your Facebook page, you know, it doesn't just disappear once somebody's seen it once. It stays there and you can build more content. You can have more paths leading into your business by using content marketing. Um, so that was just our, that was just our side of the fence. That was what had worked for us. We didn't have much experience in paid advertising. However, what I love these days is the whole Facebook remarketing. And I listened to um, Greg Kasser explain it to me in the early days. And he sort of said, well, you know, if people visit your website, if you're lucky, one or two percent of people will convert meaning that they'll opt into your newsletter or they'll give you a call or, or whatever, which means that 99, 98% of people come to your website and vanish. They're never going to come back. And he said, wouldn't it be really neat if you had a second bite of the cherry? And I was intrigued thinking, wow, what's he, uh, what's he, got, what's he going to talk to me about here? And he explained how Facebook remarketing works, how that if someone visits your site and then leaves your site, you can then pixel them which means you can then show your marketing message to them when they're actually on Facebook. And, I, and that was just so cool. And you see it all the time. You know, if you're looking at a shirt or a pair of shoes or something on, on a website and later that night that exact same pair of shoes shows up in your news feed. It's getting creepy. Get <laughs> yeah, it's getting creepy. Yeah, it's following you around. They're stalking you around. People get it and they go, oh, I've seen that happen. And then you explain it that you get this second bite of the cherry to re-market to 99% of the people that, you know, were interested enough to come to your site yeah. but then didn't take action. You can even to me, do that's been a real game changer. Yeah, and you can even do remarketing uh, to people who have engaged most on your posts on Facebook now So, uh, or people who have watched, you know, 50% of your video, for example, on Facebook. So uh, I think that that paid media side of it, you know, and, and looking at campaigns that are running remarketing versus just running uh, budgets to cold, what we'd call the a cold audience that have never interacted with your business, uh, if you're going to do any paid media whatsoever, it kind of makes sense to get back in front of those people who've already shown interest, right? Makes total sense and that's why hopefully we're going to come on my podcast, Web Marketing That Works, <laughs> and we're going to go deep dive into all this cool Facebook stuff that I only, I only, I only know the, the tip of the iceberg of. So, mate, if you'll come on mine and we can, we can dive into that, that would be super. <laughs> We'd love to. We'd love to. <laughs> just, just one other question whilst, I'm up, whilst yeah. I've turned the tables on you. <laughs> you, met, you mentioned on a Facebook post recently, how do you learn not to say um, 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 in, in interviews? <laughs> How's that going for you? I don't know. What do you think? I've got a few tallied, but I'm not. <laughs> you, you're sitting there counting them right now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, listeners are. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, one suggestion was to replace um or ah uh, with a different word. So I could do that, but uh, the, the word that I would choose probably wouldn't be podcast worthy. So <laughs> it's difficult. Hey, I remember it was Sean D'Souza said in the, in the Facebook thread that just to have that silence to let the brain catch up. It's really difficult, I find. I've I've been doing podcasts for a while now, and it's it's way harder than it seems. Hey, you don't you don't you barely say um and ah at all though. Like your your word your sentences are nice and succinct, and you take time. I rush through them. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now that you're even more conscious of it, I'll, I'll I'll keep telling and see how you go for the second half of the interview. Thanks for bringing that up, mate. I'll make sure we cut this part out. No, <laughs> no, we we can leave it in, Dane. It's okay. <laughs> All right, you know, carry on. Uh, so uh, I want to talk about uh, it, it's okay. So it's good to know that with web strategy, it's kind of the fundamentals are the same. It's figure out who your persona is, um, figure out where they're hanging out, and whether that's you know whether that's blogs or whether that's Facebook Live or whether it's augmented reality apps or something in the future. You know that stuff will change, but the core, you know, figure out who it is, uh, figure out where they are, figure out how you can provide value and reach them regularly and, and build trust and then work out your publishing schedule and tracking results and that sort of thing. So that seems like that's kind of, you know, an evergreen approach to it, which is um, good for everybody to understand. Now, I'm, I'm, interested to, I'm interested to learn like, let's say I'm not a content marketer, uh, a content marketing business, I'm not an online 
or e-commerce business that can sell to the world. I'm a business that has maybe I just service Sydney or I just service San Francisco or whatever it is. Uh, does does my approach change because I'm I've got a limited population, I guess, to um, to reach with my content, or is it just uh, the same sort of approach with my lead magnets and my and my regular publishing and that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that and whether it differs or not. Okay, so there's there's two parts to that that I'd like to address, and the first is like literally answering your question. So if you are like a local, say, real estate agent, mm-hmm. and most real estate agents typically service a single suburb and very often just a few streets within a certain suburb, and that's a that's a little area that they know back to front, and oftentimes they've sold the same property maybe five or six times. They really only specialize, say, in Barden, which is a suburb in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So for those types of people, whether you're a plumber in Barden or a real estate agent or a mortgage broker, you know what you can actually do is use a lot of the location-based keywords in your lead magnet and your blog articles or your videos or your content or whatever else. So the same principles apply, but you're just super specific with the content that you're publishing. So you might have a specific um, report that you write about certain streets in Baden, certain trends that you're seeing in the area. Uh, And so exactly the same uh, principle of content marketing applies, but you're just writing content that's super niche to your area. So it's more it's more unlikely that people, you know, it's very likely that people who are looking to buy a house or sell a house in a certain suburb are going to use that keyword phrase. They might even use the street name within Barter. Yeah. Uh, so it is really useful to use those keywords because then the people that you attract are super targeted as well. Yeah. It's not just like they're saying, what's the, uh, what's the, the interest rate on a home loan these days mm-hmm. or tips for buying a house are actually typing in you know properties in garden so but yeah same principles true. apply so it's kind of so and, and we've found this too with our seo campaigns and projects uh, sometimes those uh the smaller businesses who just target a small uh, city or region um actually have an advantage of the bigger guys that have multiple locations or a global brands that are trying to come up in all these localized searches because they know the area better they know uh, their customer, their local customer, oftentimes a little bit better, and they can solely focus on producing content for real estate in Barton or real estate in Bondi or whatever um, the niche is. And it's much harder for a bigger company, although not impossible, um, much harder for a bigger franchise or brand to produce personalized, customized, uh, relevant content for each little area that they service. And as you mentioned, those search queries that people are typing into Google. Um, around, you know, find a real estate agent in Bondi, for example, that, that's a buying keyword. That's a lot more valuable than someone typing in uh, home loan rates or uh, whatever you mentioned before or um, general sort of information that you would target on a more global scale. So m- while you might get much more traffic targeting broader keywords and using uh, and targeting broader topics across the whole state, nation or globe, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that those visitors are going to be as valuable as producing that niche sort of personalized, localized content. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And and just the the second point that I was going to make is if you do actually happen to be picking up, say, leads or inquiries from like other cities or other countries, then it opens up the door for either um, referring those leads to other people and maybe getting a commission or selling those leads yeah, or having yeah. some sort of swapping um, relationship with other agents or other plumbers or whatever in different areas. Wow, yeah. um, but also, yeah, what, what sort of happened with, with us is as an agency, we really only service Brisbane or Sydney because mm-hmm. that's where we were located. Mm-hmm. But as we started publishing these marketing templates, people from all over the world downloaded them. And in those early days, we only really offered sort of reasonably high-end um, products and services. So we didn't really have anything that catered to – if someone in England was interested in digital marketing, we didn't really have a product we could offer them. Right. So as our database kind of grew, we then realized we had this opportunity to create products for different markets, which right. is when we kind of, that's when we got into releasing digital products or online courses, and it, it made it really useful for our book because people can just buy that from anywhere. 
but it did open the door to expand our business into different areas. And mate, that's a that's a very good point. Like our our podcast focuses on marketing with a, a bit of a localized lens or location based lens on it. But there's nothing to say that you can't turn your local business into a global business. It doesn't, you know, you don't necessarily need to open locations and have people on the ground all across the state or the nation or the globe. Um, you could turn your knowledge and your expertise into information products or um, courses or um, other other types of other types of revenue generating um, products that you don't need to be uh, in, in different places for and, and I think I, I came across actually the example of a chiropractor I think they were in Melbourne or Adelaide or somewhere um, who has experienced that sort of thing I think they ran some YouTube videos that went a bit viral and got all this traffic and leads from across the globe that they obviously couldn't service because <laughs> you know you can't really crack someone's back <laughs> when they're when they're in a different <laughs> country but they've gone down the path of um of monetizing that traffic and that leverage um by selling ebooks and like and uh guides and things like that that are valuable to that audience who really love that content that they originally built so uh, i think that i think that any local business you know if they're going to think big you may as well be as valuable as you can to obviously your local audience but everyone around the world and who knows what can what can come of that yeah totally agree yeah focus on the local market and then if other people discover you and find you then you can cross that bridge and see how you can service them uh later as well yeah, cool. So uh, this whole web, like the web strategy thing, you know, we've talked about a fairly high level, fairly straightforward type of process that I guess with the help of some <laughs> maybe templates, <laughs> one of 33 <laughs> templates, uh, people can sit down and have a crack at themselves. But I'm thinking depending on what type of business you are, what position you're in, uh, oftentimes you're going to need someone with a bit of expertise to guide you through it. Um, at when, how do I figure out as a business owner whether I can kind of do this stuff DIY and plan out my marketing strategy DIY or whether I need to hire a consultant or an agency uh, to help me with that? Look, the real, the real rule of thumb is, I mean, depends what your highest revenue activity is. So if you're a plumber or if you're an air conditioning dude installing aircon units, then chances are you're going to be making more money when you're on the tools doing what it is you do best. Yeah. Chances are you're not going to get your best ROI by writing a blog post when you could be you know, making money. So I always encourage people to keep that in mind and get an understanding of what needs to happen on the web, but then... I always remind them that I'm not here to drag them away from what brings in the revenue. Mm. I'm here to let them know that what they do online can amplify and enhance what they're doing, but I don't want to drag them away from it. So, yes, they're making more money on the tools, so I would encourage those people to get help from an agency or, or a consultant or a virtual assistant or whatever to try and extract what they know from their head mm -hmm. and yeah. be able to turn that into, as you said, like, blog content, video content, podcast content. And even if it's just sitting down for half a day, like you mentioned, um, Dave Jennings from Authority Content mentioned as a strategy, get all that knowledge and then sort of put it in, you know, just talk it into, into cameras or talk it into microphones and then get help from agencies, copywriters, whoever, people on Upwork, depending on what your budget is, and then get that then get that content out into the world so that you do it once and it continues to pay dividends because you do that half a day of getting everything out of your head. You go back onto the, you know, onto the tools, whether you're a dentist or plumber or whatever, keep doing your work. And then as you publish that content, as your team or your VAs or your agency publish that content to the web, then that stays on the web today, tomorrow, next week, next year. Mm -hmm. And you've got all these different sort of avenues that people can find you. Yeah. And so it really is the gift that keeps on giving. So you, if you're, you've only got to do it once, then you may as well do it now so it, can, it starts paying dividends rather than waiting and waiting and waiting for the time to be maybe more right. But um, yeah, get help is the short answer. Got it. Cool. I, th I think that's really good advice. Now, mate, uh, I, think we've, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to cover today. And we, we do have another little segment of the show where I ask you a few questions about yourself so everyone can get to know <laughs> you <laughs> personally. But before we hook into that, I'm really interested to know, sorry, I'm going to, this is going to be a two-part question because I, I want to know a couple of things. So first, I want to know where does storytelling and, and, you know, the brand story sort of 
um, concept fit into the strategy process? That's the first question. And the second one is, is there anything else about web strategy and where you think it's headed that you think would be valuable for, for everyone to hear? Okay, cool. So the storytelling part, absolutely crucial. I mean, the way that you, people have always told stories and we, we can relate and we can remember stories and we can anchor concepts to stories. So if you just bore people with the actual straight facts, chances are people won't remember it very well. But if, as you say, you tell a story or a brand tells a story, then you can remember the story and, and whatever it was that was associated with that. So storytelling is, is absolutely critical in terms of you know the content that you publish. People want to do business with people that they know, like, and trust, and companies they know, like, and trust, and storytelling is, is a critical way to do that. And I think the second part of the question was, what was web marketing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was, no. <laughs> it was a web marketing strategy. Like, what, what's, where's it going and, and what, what are you kind of excited about um, that's happening in this, in this space at the moment? Look, I'm most excited about the fact that it's still massively the early days. Like, it's only been around maybe a, a decade or two. And if you consider that the next 100 or 200 years, this is going to be continuing to, to change the world, then it's just so exciting to see like people who may not have understood the value that the web can represent to their business. They may not appreciate that there's cool things we can do with Facebook or email or, or a website or you know Google getting ranked on Google. There can be really a transformation for their business. I still love seeing people go through that process of being scared of digital or, you know, avoiding Facebook like the plague to all of a sudden going, oh, okay, I can see how this can work. I've used this before. This makes sense. So that's still what excites me the most because you've got to remember like people like us who live and breathe digital marketing, we're kind of in a very small percentage of people, the vast majority of normal people, normal business owners. This is all quite new for them and I love the fact that each and every day there's there's people sort of making that that step over into the digital world. Oh, absolutely. And and this is this is, you know, half this is what our podcast is about. Like I'm I'm hoping right now that there's business owners out there listening to if there's one business owner every episode that goes, "Aha, I'm going to do that and get something out of it and it helps them grow their business." You know, that's what it's that's what that's what our job is, right, Frankie? That's it. That's that's what I love about it. Yeah, because all the new fancy stuff that we can let all the marketing nerds worry about that and, and argue the toss over what what Periscope or Meerkat or Facebook Live platforms going to be the new thing of 2017. But for me, that's that's not exciting because the exciting part is seeing yeah normal people understand and and take the take the step into this cool world that that we sort of are lucky enough to to live in, but to get that applying to your regular business. It's yeah. just uh, super exciting. It is cool. It is cool. You know what else is cool? 14 back quick fry questions. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> I'm, is. I'm nervous. Uh, <laughs> mate, they're, they're G-rated, so don't worry. They're, uh, so, yes, 14 quick fire questions. You've got roughly five seconds to answer each one. Um, you're allowed to pass one if you need it. And are you ready? Yes. First one's quite easy. Where did you go to high school? Brisbane Grammar. What was your first job and why didn't you stick to it? My first job was a, at a menswear store called Mitchell Ogilvy Ooh. and I stuck with it for my years when I was 17 and 18 and 19 and then I went overseas. Oh, actually, no, then I started doing nightclub promotions. That's why I left the job. Got it. That explains why you're so well, well dressed and dapper all the time, mate. <laughs> Everybody, Google Adam Franklin, and I guarantee you he'll be dressed to the nines. <laughs> Google images. Why, thank you, Dave. <laughs> what has been your biggest? I think I know this one, but I'd be interested for you to tell this story. What's been your biggest screw up in business? Look, there's been quite a few. Um, we nearly ran out of money on a few occasions. That's always a bit of a screw up. Um, but we were able to get through. <laughs> now, I've done a whole bunch of – there's a whole bunch of silly stories out there that, uh, that I can tell. <laughs> what the hell have we got? One of the good ones was my first email that I sent out to everybody that I knew. Well, everybody, family, friends, and the people I'd met through business. I, I sent that out, dear Adam. Uh, to uh, people. <laughs> so that was that was a shocker. <laughs> Your heart uh, sinks and you go, man, 
for a web design web marketing company. That's not the look I was really going for. <laughs> Except for the few Adams in your list, they would have been quite impressed. That's it. There was three Adams on the list that loved it. <laughs> that's stuff done. Uh, so mate, there's all sorts of mis- human error mistakes I've, I've done like that. But you know what? That's what um, that's what I love about business and life. You make mistakes and you learn from it. And it's um, hopefully most of them, like the Dear Adam story, you can look back on and, and have a laugh later. <laughs> but at the time, it feels like the world's about to end and you just made the most of all this stuff up. Tell me about it. I just hope that I don't introduce myself on one of these podcasts as Dave, as um, someone other than Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I'm nearly, we've, Toby and I have done that as well. <laughs> what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of in a business sense, I guess the fact that we've been doing it for 12 years, we've overcome some difficult times, we've been able to have an impact on a number of people and we've been able to make a living at it as well and each day we get to do what we lot that we really enjoy and um have an impact on on people that 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 seems genuine awesome. like it seems to be a genuine impact people are actually using our tools we get stories back on email from people that listen to the podcast or have read the book or get our blue white newsletter and they're grateful and we've had a, an impact on their lives so that's that's what i'm very proud of that's pretty bloody cool what is something weird you used to do as a kid <laughs> I used to collect uh, Tic Tac containers <laughs> and I used to collect Coke can containers <laughs> and I used to collect chalk dust. <laughs> did you do something with all those three together? <laughs> oh, I did I did often put chalk dust in the Tic Tac container. That's getting pretty weird. <laughs> where do you want me to go, Dad? That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that's going to head. <laughs> I don't know. Who's your favorite band or musician? Okay, so I've been going old school lately. Um, David Gates and Bread. Nice. And rate your own singing voice out of 10. Zero. Do you want to give us a little line? Thank you. <laughs> what is your favorite food? Favorite food? Hamburgers have been the, uh, the go-to. Uh, food this year in terms of body food that's the yummiest but um, yeah hamburger <laughs> describe the last picture you, you remember taking on your phone oh that I remember taking I'll have to say it was of my niece doing crazy hair so she, <laughs> my, she's two years old and she loves she calls it crazy hair either her grandma or her dad will hold her upside down and her hair will just Touch the floor and she'll be upside down and um, <laughs> to the photo of that. It's pretty cute. <laughs> What's one habit that you have that you would really love to change? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going, mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I try and change it. <laughs> so, mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's why okay. Toby used to do that heaps, and uh, it makes, makes it makes it. I know I used to do it heaps when we were doing our podcast interviews as well, and you spend all day just editing out that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we, we called it mooing. Going, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad so you got that. over that. Yeah. <laughs> What's been the happiest life of uh, happiest life, happiest day of your life so far? Oh. <laughs> they're all really good. Every was it day the day that you met me at Trafficking Conversion Summit? Because that was my that, favorite, mate. That was a definite <laughs> highlight, as was getting to know you and coming to visit in Newcastle. Two of the top highlights. I'm just going to take that. Time. I'm just going to take that as the answer and move on. <laughs> um, I really am. Um, what do? You, this is the last question, by the way. Adam Franklin, what do you love most about yourself? <laughs> I love the most about myself. Attracting and meeting people like you in my life, Dave. Oh, mate. There's no shortage of crazy people and fun, <laughs> interesting characters you get to meet. And, and somehow I, I, I seem to attract all sorts and I'm very grateful for yeah, that. I think like attracts like, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. I think you've added a ton of value um, for our audience and uh, getting our head around what 
whether we start with a web marketing strategy and and your experience is obviously super helpful. I'd, I'd recommend everybody go and check out bluewiremedia.com.au, download the templates, check them out, um, check out Adam uh, Adam's stuff on Facebook. Uh, where else can people find you, mate? Yeah, the best bet is is the website, bluewiremedia.com.au. There's a big button on the homepage to download those marketing templates that you mentioned mm, and mm, all of mm, our social mm, media. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's doing, hey? Your four podcast editors have to like split the tracks and edit out all of your no, we're, we're going raw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about listeners? <laughs> Sorry, no, mate, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so all of our social media stuff's on there and if you if you download the templates, you'll get the free training that gets emailed to your inbox. They're all written by me and um, if you reply to those, it's from my personal email address so you can, you can get in contact. I, unless I miss it, I reply to all of the emails. Um, but anyway, you can reach me direct as well, Adam at bluewiremedia.com.au. And I look forward to connecting with, um, with your listeners, Dave. Great. Thank you for coming on the show again, Frankie. And really appreciate it. We'll definitely get you back on sometime soon because uh, I just really enjoyed I really enjoyed what you have to give, mate. I think you've got a lot to give and I love your approach. And yeah, I really appreciate it. So um, web strategy that works, 2017, we're all done, mate. Thanks again and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. See you, Dave. See you, mate. Bye. listened all the way to the end of this episode i think it means that you've got some value out of it i hope so in return we'd love it if you could go and leave us a review on itunes stitcher google play or wherever just search the location station and don't forget to go and subscribe for free updates regular giveaways and a whole heap of other stuff fun stuff at thelocationstation.com And I'm not whispering because I want you to keep this podcast a secret. Please share with any business owner or marketer who you think will find our stuff valuable. Now go on, go and action some of the stuff that we learnt today. I'll see you on the next episode.